Welcome, my name is Kareem Kanji and this is episode 60. Today's guest is the social media director of IT World Canada and editor of itbusiness.ca, Brian Jackson. Enjoy the conversation. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. I actually interviewed this Sam Roberts. Oh no way! When I was in university, and I Carlton? was like, yeah, I was the editor of the student newspaper, and I, um, you know, was covering Frosh Week, and he was the big band. So I got the backstage interview with Sam Roberts. Nice. Yeah. And how was he? You know what? I think he was really high. <laughs> <laughs> like honestly, I went I went back there the, and like super nice guy. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I could tell he was just like yeah. spaced out like a mile away. Did you know go? And you went to Carlton. Yeah. Did you know going into Carlton that like journalism was is was what you wanted to do? Yeah, uh, for okay. sure. Right. So what happened is you, you you go to high school and then there comes that point when. You want to apply to university. What's your major? Yeah, what what are you going to choose? What where are you going to go? So I thought that I was going to take like computer science, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, that's okay. what I was sort of gearing myself for in so high school. I can school. see that interest in tech already. Right. Yeah, I was big computer nerd okay. in high school. Right. So I thought that's what I should do. Like I was getting into like, like I built my website. I was like into put, building computers as well. So. I thought that would be, like, a good path for me. So I was taking math. Like, I took calculus. I took, uh, you know, I booked all these science courses. Yeah. I, like, I I think I graduated with, like, the minimum requirement of English. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that you need, like, out, yeah, out yeah. of high school. But it came time, and, like, when I put down my choices on uh, the application, I like, the top two, like, the top one was... Uh, University of Waterloo, like engineering, faculty yeah, of science, uh, engineering, computers. like computer science. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, when you're trying to get into Waterloo, it's very competitive. So what you do is you write these extra math tests, right? Every high school student's idea of a great time is like not only studying for the tests you have to do, but then the extra math tests, like on top of that oh, wow. extracurricular, like, to, to see how well you compete against the very best math students. And uh, when I was I was studying for that one night, and I just remember, like, studying, like, looking at this question about how light would reflect off of this surface and show, like, what angle would it be? Really? And, and then I just thought, I don't care. I do not <laughs> care. Like, I do not want to, like, if this is going to be my life, yeah. like, sitting here and, like, trying to solve this problem, yeah. I can't do it, right? Like, I... And when I was growing up, it was always about journalism. Like, we read the newspaper every morning. My my parents were, were teachers, and they wrote letters to the newspaper. So that was, like, part of our household, right? Like, mm -hmm. you could enge engage with the media. You could create media. Okay. And, um, you know, I, got, I had a few letters published myself um, in the Toronto Star when I was in high school. And, like, that Have you was, cut those out and saved them? Oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where that is. Like, it's buried under the clippings now, for yeah, sure. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, it's somewhere, I guess. Anyway, so, and on a lark, on that application I put for university, I put in, like, uh, third choice, I was journalism at Carleton. And, um, you know, I got in, and I just said, that's what I'm going to do. That sounds the most interesting to me. Wow. And yeah. it's been all the way through. Yeah, I didn't look back. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I as soon as I knew uh, I wanted to do journalism, I just went at it hard. I like in my third year of university, I became the editor of the resident student newspaper, and I did that my fourth year as well. So, mm -hmm. and then um, yeah, I, I, I knew I loved it, and uh, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an editor. Excellent. Yeah. And and you, you sort of tied. Did you then sort of take your interest in technology right away and pair that together? Did you know that's what you wanted to focus on, or were you still sort of discovering? What interested you in your writing? I thought I would be a science journalist. That's oh, okay. where I sort of pointed myself. Like I knew technology was was a big interest of mm -hmm. mine, and um, but no one at Carleton like says, "Yeah, you can be a technology journalist." Like that's a valid. It's you know you take your your uh, basic courses, yeah, <clears throat> and then you you got to choose your specialty. So you choose business and or like politics. Sure, sure. And then there was a science option. Oh, okay. So I specialized in science. But, <clears throat> excuse me, even then I knew that um, I, I was interested in the tech stuff because I was, for my projects, I was choosing to write about, like, the satellites that Canada was launching. Wow. And, yeah, I was going to check out the projects at the Canadian Space Agency, like, I I remember I what got a, a perfect tour. perfect place to be, eh, in Ottawa. It was it was really a great place to go to journalism school because you get everything there. Like there's yeah. politics happening, like local level, federal level. Yeah. Like I was going to um, the House of Commons and sitting in on committee meetings. Right. Wow. I walked up to Joe Clark and and interviewed him just after like a committee meeting. Uh, so you get those sort of opportunities. Uh huh. And then I remember. Um, like when the president would like Bush would visit Ottawa, and there were these crazy protests. So we could cover we could cover that. That was exciting, right? And then there was also the entertainment scene. There's music there. There's, there was technology uh, scene in Ottawa as well. Yeah, of course, like coming out of the Nortel era. That's right. right. It was just sort of the hangover after that, Nortel okay. at that time. So I mean, there was a bit of that. Wow. That influenced you. But, yeah, uh, at first it was science. Uh, and um, I ended up landing a internship at the Discovery Channel I, in, I saw in their that. interactive department, right, coming out of school. And and you, you, you did something. I was reading somewhere mm -hmm. where you actually built – did you build, like, their interactive division or you built – you were one of the first no, ones? No, no, that's, that's definitely overstating it. I was – okay. yeah, that's going way too far. I mean, if I could take all Alternative that credit, facts, that Brian. Amazing. Now that's what we're into. <laughs> well, yeah, in this, in this world, I guess I can just claim anything. But, look, I was hired as an intern, and they were, yeah. it was right at the beginning, like – you know how you go online and you uh, you ever go and use like the broadband player on CTV? Yes, and yes, And you yes. like stream their all of their TV shows now? Yeah, yeah. Well, I I'm pretty sure I was like the first guy that w that had to like encode videos on like I was taking tapes and for some reason Disco they launched this with Discovery Channel first. I was like encoding episodes of Canada's Worst Driver onto the online system. Okay, wow. Yeah, just right, like one of the random things I did, but um, like later, you know, after the internship where, where I actually, my main job was to write, like I was writing, okay. I was pumping out science briefs. Like I was okay. writing about like taking press releases or like scientific journal reports, like reports in nature. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and like turning it into like consumable okay. news. Right. So, um, 
And then later uh, they hired me for a year to do this big live event series. And okay. it was like this, you know, it was this idea that they would try webcasting and like streaming video online. Mm -hmm. And that it would all be based around these live events packages that they would attract people to watch. So mm -hmm. that was a great experience because we just got to think up like what are huge science events that are taking place in Canada yeah. that pe people would want to tune into. So we came up with things like covering uh, the concrete canoe race that university students, okay. <laughs> you know, engineering departments from universities get together and put this on every year. Wow. Now, uh, we went to Alberta and did a dinosaur dig with Phil Curry, uh, one of the Canada's like a world-renowned paleontologist, really. Uh, re and then we did like a talk show organized around a space shuttle launch. We didn't go to Florida or anything. Yeah. We just did that at the Science Center, but we had astronauts on. And that must have been amazing. It was an amazing series to work on. Yeah, it yeah. was a great, great opportunity, and they really let me uh, do a lot. Like there, it was me and Peter McMahon, who was my boss at the time, uh -huh. and. Um, you know, he was he was like the interactive lead, mm -hmm. and then it was just me, and we were making it all. Like we made video packages, we would do the research, we'd do the shooting, we'd do the editing. It was all us, so it it was incredible. This must have been like early days of like live video, live streaming. Oh yeah, it was just like a crazy pilot project, really. Yeah, yeah they just took it, they sprung out and tried it, um, and. Yeah, we, I was the the beneficiary of that. I guess I get I got to experiment. That's really cool. Yeah. And and what led you to sort of the IT world? Um, you know, all their websites and all their different newsletters and such. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not much. I I think I saw <laughs> it. I think I saw it on JeffGollin dot com. Okay. So there's my plug for for Jeff, who I I still go to. I I now hire my my writers from that website. Uh, oh it wow. It always seems to work out, uh, but yeah, I I came. That's how I learned of the company. Like, I it's a B two B publisher, right? Mm -hmm. So I wasn't getting their publications in, to my desk, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's a world that if you don't know about it, you really don't know about it. Oh, but, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I was I was I was invited in for for the interview. Mm -hmm. I applied, and you know I was hired. In 2008, as a staff writer yeah. on IT Business Dancia. So mm -hmm. that's that's when I got my start. Nice, nice. You know. uh, so I need to ask you this question. Let's We're taking like a, a, a massive detour. And, you know, this, this question is actually going to come up with almost everybody that I talk to over the next little while. Um, but specifically, you know, in, in, in talking to you and, and the work that you do with IT World and IT Business, Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Yes. New president <laughs> uh, down in the States. Yeah. Um, I've heard about him. Yeah. yeah. For Canada's tech sector, let's focus there. Um, does it does it matter that he's the president? Do, does it impact the, the, the tech industry here in Canada at all? What are your thoughts on that? Yes. Yes, it matters. It does. Uh, it matters a lot because what is the, the tech sector more than any other sector – is dependent on trade and sort of open borders and the flow of like intellectual property from mm -hmm. one border to the next, even the free flow of individuals like employees, because you need a really specific talent 
uh, in the tax sector. You need engineers, right? You need uh, a leader that can come in and lead a tech company from a startup level to one that scales and can sell its products to a global audience. So, mm-hmm. you know, when on the night of the election, right? I, the day, yeah, the day of the election, I was right. I was trying to get my story together. So what you do as a journalist, or, or what I do, I guess, is I was right. I was interviewing my so, some different people, uh, and I said, well, okay, what if Hillary wins? And I thought like Hillary was going to win, like everyone else, right? So, so you were writing an article. What does Hillary mean for Canada's tech? Yeah, sector? well, but I I was smart enough to hedge and ask it both ways. Like okay, so I asked, what if Trump wins? And yeah, yeah. like I got quotes for both. And, you know, that day I wrote the uh, story about Hillary Clinton and, like, how she would impact. And that story was, like, you know, pretty much status quo. Like, we can we can be at rest assured NAFTA. The trade agreements are, mm-hmm. are going to be good. And uh, she was definitely the, the, te- the candidate of choice for tech companies. Like, okay. a bunch of tech companies actually came out during the campaign, if you remember this, in the U.S., like Silicon Valley Titans. And they all penned a letter uh, mm-hmm. and signed it about how Donald Trump would be a disaster for the tech industry. Mm-hmm. So they were. It was pretty clear who the tech industry wanted to win, right? So anyway, Hillary. When it became uh, obvious later that night that Trump was going to win, yeah. I was like, "Oh man, I have to go." And I got to get I back was, to work. <laughs> yeah, I was up. I was. I went back to work, and I went. I was up until three in the morning writing. What? Jeez. <laughs> here's well. But I was uh, I couldn't turn off the TV either because it wasn't as easy as just changing Hillary Clinton's name into Donald no, Trump. No, it's a totally different story, right? In yeah. fact, so uh, there's a lot of nervous people now about how will uh, these trade deals be re- rewritten and mm-hmm. um, will Trump shut down the ability of uh, say Canadians that are working in Silicon Valley? Will they be able to do that because? He said certain things about uh, these visas that they're using to, to do so, mm-hmm. right? But I've heard that spun another way, right? Like there's people who you can talk to that say that uh, the fact that Trump is president now, you know, is an opportunity to bring back talent, like uh, Canadians that have been successful and moved to or the bring U.S. bring talent back to Canada. Yeah, will they, hmm. will they be... Uh, less likely to stay and work in the U.S. now, and they'll want to come back to and, and work in Canada bec- because of this uh, unfriendly um, administration. So it might be like a, a boon for, for you know, the the younger startup phase companies that won't lose engineers to yeah. Silicon Valley, that won't lose, um, you know, investor money to Silicon Valley. Yeah, uh, some people seem to think so, right? Like that is a that mm. is a, a story I've heard. Like uh, Mark Organ, the CEO at Influida, he yeah. he will tell you this anytime you ask him. He says that he's actively talking to people that would have been based in the U.S. before, and now they're looking at Toronto as a, as a great option. So, you know, this is this is a real factor for the Canadian tech sector, like. Mm-hmm. Um, we see our companies bought up by U.S. Yeah. Uh, uh, companies all yeah. the time, or yeah. even um, our CEOs uh, will go there and start their company in the U.S. Or tech talent leaves Canada, mm-hmm. and and they 
go where they think they can find the venture capital, right? Yeah. So if, if that becomes less easy to do, um, I, now that that's like a silver lining, though. Like, I really... Sure. I, I got to say, like, I do think the overall um, situation for the tax sector is bleaker with Trump. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to oversell this Well, this whenever you sort of close thing. borders, you know, whether through literally a wall or through, um, you know, trade restrictions and and the flow of talent, restricting the flow of talent and, and movement, and, and you become very insular, um, you know, I, I think that's a, a negative thing for your sort of trading partners and, and, and other countries that you're used to dealing with. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, especially the tech sector, which just ne- depends on that that open system. You know, you see so many companies that have offices in Toronto mm-hmm. and San Francisco, mm. uh, Toronto and New York. Right? They're they set it up as a co headquarters, and yeah, you know when you're talking about companies that are partially operating in the US and have employees there um, they're they're definitely going to be worried about how will this administration affect, affect arrangements like that right yeah I wonder you know you we we're used to hearing when you know big auto companies or, or other multinationals say we're gonna we're making an investment you know here in Toronto is, is where we're recording this um, where you know they're they're going to build a a research and development facility. Um, they're going to hire top talent. You know we hear that a lot. You know be, you know sort of this corridor between, um, I guess Ottawa all the way down to like Waterloo. Um, I'm very curious if that even gets impacted. You know with uh, with President Trump claiming that uh, you know if you're going to sell in America, you need to build it in America. So I'm very yeah, I mean, it was just the other day, right? He said, yeah. if you sell cars in the U.S., you have to build it here, which, of course, has huge implications for the automaker, the, the manufacturing sectors here, like towns like Oshawa, yeah. Windsor, yeah. Hu- huge portions of the economy mm-hmm. that are dependent on, on those jobs, on those factory jobs. And, um, no, you, you, you might be thinking of deals that the Ontario government made with, well, was it Toyota? Yeah, one of the ge- yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I, this isn't a, my area. I mean, this no. is outside my my yeah. area. But I, yeah, they they make deals with these auto companies to to keep jobs in Ontario and, and to win companies into um, into setting up shop here, right? So it's going to be a very that, interesting that at risk? four years. <laughs> Both both for people in the tech industry yeah. and just people in general. Yeah, let's, I hope. It's good, interesting, and not bad, interesting. Yeah, it's going to be. I think it's going to be. Unfortunately, it's going to be a bit of both, you know. But it, it's 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 weird. It's strange. Um, We're in uncharted territory. Right? We, th- exactly. No one's really sure where it can go. And when you have an administration that yeah. hasn't hired like ninety percent of the jobs that the administration is supposed to do, mm-hmm. when the administration spends like one of its first press conferences to tell you lies about how big the crowds were at the inauguration yeah strange what signals are you supposed to take from that yeah right? and it's hard to re- it's hard for a press to know how to react you know what what's a diversionary tactic mm-hmm. what's just uh 
uh, a mistake? <laughs> and and what what's the point of it all? Where where is he taking? It? Let me ask you this: as as someone who is in 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 media, uh, I'll, I'll I'll buy it focused um, on technology. Um, I'm curious on your take on this um, the unwillingness of most media companies to call a lie a lie and they they what do they call it an untruth right this was talking about kelly conway well not her mm-hmm. i i know her the, in terms the alternative of alternative truth. facts right yeah that's like, what un, you're talking like, about yeah in, in, in especially well in, in in that interview the 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 person that was interviewing her um i believe he's with he's with mnbc maybe uh, MSNBC, maybe I okay. can't remember. Um, anyways, regardless, um, they a, a lot of organizations are seem to say, um, you know, in, instead of saying, for example, uh, Daniel Dale, Toronto Star, yeah, uh, Washington correspondent, really enjoy following. It's funny, it's fun stuff that he's yeah. written. Um, he'll say five things that Donald Trump said that w- weren't true. Um, Instead of here are five lies, I'm curious. Like I don't know if you recognize this or you observe this, but right. Well, I could understand that distinction, right? Because tell, tell me about that. Okay. Well, if Donald Trump says things that aren't true, mm-hmm. there's possibility like a lie uh, infers intent. I think. Okay. Like I'm I'm telling you a lie. Like I know the truth, but I'm going to lie to you. Like I'm going to tell you something mm-hmm. that is not the truth. Uh, and we both know what the truth is, maybe, or maybe I do and you don't. But uh, now, if I say to you something that's that's not true, but I don't know what the actual truth is, or I'm mistaken, yeah, that's not a lie, is it? I don't know. No, <laughs> I don't think so. A lie implies intent. It does to, to eh? me. Yeah. Okay. I think that's why Daniel would make that distinction. Uh, yeah, not just Daniel, but it, it but, seems to be happening. You know, uh, when we can talk about though, when. There's clearly lies being told, like when the information's out there mm-hmm. and observable for the world to see, like when you have aerial photos of, of the crowds, crowds before the the mall of the White House, yeah. right? And it, you don't have to, like, there's no discrepancy. You just have to look. Yeah. It's plain to see, right? But they're telling us something else. So what you have to say that mm-hmm. is a lie, right? When, yeah. when anybody can observe what, what is true, somebody is saying something that's not true. You have to point that out. Yeah. Very strange. Um, let's get away from talking about that. Please. Yes. <laughs> Anything else. Tell me you visited Rwanda. You did some work there. Yeah, I did. Right. That's amazing. Right. Tell me about that. Yeah. So back in 2006, uh-huh. this is just after I graduated from okay. Carleton. Right? right. So I I finished up at school, and basically the next month I flew to Rwanda. And what it was is um, an internship that was organized by Alan Thompson, and he, ca- he called it the Rwanda Initiative. Okay. So I went there on, on the first year that um, it was organized for, for the school, or, or maybe the previous year there had been teachers, professors, and I was going the first year that um, students would be okay. taking up internship positions at uh, press in Rwanda. So we had um, placements with... The, the Kigali Times, the, the Daily, okay. um, new, or sorry, the New Times in Kigali, yeah. the capital city of Rwanda. Mm-hmm. And um, we all, I shared a house with with um, three other 
people, three other uh, journalism students from Carleton, and okay. we're all doing this, the same thing as I was. Mm -hmm. And so what exactly were you doing? Right, so we were reporters. We went to... Okay. Yeah, we went to the... We, it was an English language newspaper, right? Okay. So we didn't... We often didn't have to uh, work through translators because a lot of the Tutsi, educated Tutsi population in Rwanda mm -hmm. will, will know English and, okay. they, and they speak it as a second language. Uh, very common in Africa to be multilingual. It's really yeah, impressive. Yeah. Like, puts me to shame for sure. <laughs> but, um, and then there's a, the French speaking population as well. So okay. if, if you know a bit of both, um, and, and my French is, is not good, but other people in my house were, were better at it and, mm -hmm. and uh, we could help each other uh, in certain situations. So, yeah, I, I mean, I was an assignment reporter. I did a bit of everything. I remember my first day on the job for this newspaper, somehow they sent me to, like, the soccer stadium, the big, huge stadium, like, 100,000 people, well, yeah, so let's, uh, sure, 100,000 people in the stadium <laughs> in, in Kigali, it seemed like it, and I'm at the field level, I said I was, I could take photos, and I was there, I brought my S, digital SLR, my new camera, and um, they said, okay, go take photos of the soccer game, so my first day on the job, I'm the photo journalist on the sidelines of the soccer game yeah and then you know they just threw me in there they they didn't they didn't worry about our capabilities they were told these carlton journalism students are, are ready to go and um take, take them put them on the job work with them and yeah it was, it was a great experience very interesting i was curious if you were doing like any sort of you know training um the local community there in terms of right you know, Canadian journalism best practices or anything like that? There was a bit of that. Okay. Like, I don't want to, like, I was learning too. And, okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The journalists there were uh, more experienced than I was in some ways, mm -hmm. right? But there were some things that we, we could teach them too. And what, what often happened is uh, we'd be paired with the journalists at the New Times. So, because they know the lay of the land, right? Or yeah. they might have to speak the local language. And Often you go out on assignment with um, one of the nor the full time reporters, like from the from the paper. So we collaborated in that way, and then um, you know as I was there for for a while, and I, I built up my my confidence and my rapport with the staff. I, I remember I organized like a headline writing uh, okay session, like yeah. where we just talked about how good head headline writing practices. Because it's just something I felt was, like, not great in, in the newspaper. But, yeah, I mean, it was a learning opportunity for me more so. Mm -hmm. Could you – so what year were you there? 2006. Where, I, and I, I can't remember the dates, but is that is that before? Is that after? 14 years after the genocide. After the genocide. Yeah. Could you see anything? Were you – I'm just curious about that. Like, were – did you talk to anybody about it? Did you see remnants of that? Yeah. It's, yeah? I mean, it's uh, a huge, as you can imagine, that is not something that you ever uh, leave behind as a culture. If, you, mm. if you've been through it, or if, as Rwanda was, um, it becomes like one of the dominant factors of life afterwards. And, you know, the administration that had come into Rwanda is, in fact, still in power to this day. Was the conquering the the, or I should say, 
the rebel force that mm -hmm. overthrew the, the genocidal government mm -hmm. and, and took up power in the country. And that was the, you know, the president to, um, w was in power then as, as he is now, mm -hmm. Paul Kagame, right? So he t his message and one that was really t taken up uh, by the people of Honda was one of re reconciliation. That uh, mm. we, you know, this, this impossible atrocity happened, but we have to live together. Like there is still Tutsis and Hutus here in the country, yeah. and we have to learn to live together and, and get along. So they, they they did that in different ways. There was a, a method of communal justice that was adopted because, oh the, wow, yeah, the the uh, court systems can process all of the cases out of the genocide. So they had these gachacha, which was, um, and I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but uh, gachacha was a way, uh, a tribal method of, of communal justice where people gathered and heard grievances and the people were able to uh, accuse people or bring their accusations to the face of their, the people they were accusing, right? Hmm. And so we saw that happen. And, you know, the general feeling I got was that there was a huge effort underway to heal. Interesting. That's very, very interesting. Um, another thing I'm curious about, um, your love of canoeing. Mm, I love canoeing. Yeah. Where, yeah. Did that, where did that start? Is that from like when you were a kid? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. You know, going to summer camp. Okay. Uh, learning to canoe. I, I went to summer camp and... Uh, I guess my parents signed me up for like the canoe tripping version of it. Like they were not like, oh, don't you can go make arts and crafts and and sing. Stay away from yeah. the water and like <laughs> throw them in. <laughs> no, it was like no, you're going on the hardcore canoeing. Like when I was 13, it was like the eight day canoe trip where you're living in the bush. Uh, oh. <laughs> but I loved it and and that's I, awesome. Yeah, and uh, I, I really liked it. So as I got older, like when I was um, 17, 18, I, that was my summer job. Was taking kid uh, kids on canoe trips in, around Ontario, which was great and uh, amazing. You know, I just uh, developed my my taste for it, so I wanted to continue that. And and is it, is it your Instagram? Is Urban Paddler? What yeah, is that? Urban Paddler. Urban Paddler. Right? Yeah, it's my Instagram. I started a blog uh, on my own, which I never update because <laughs> I'm too busy publishing content. Yeah, you know, for the technology world, but. In my in my dreams, I'm a, a canoeing uh, legend of, of blogging, <laughs> and that, but it's there for me when when I feel like I can, you know, once a year update it or with something. And so you've you know, Urban Paddler obviously you know refers to I'm guessing, correct me if I'm wrong, um, you know, paddling in the city. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So where, tell me where where have you been? Well, you know, when locally, you, right? I I mean, I live in Toronto. I live on the Danforth here, and. Um, I, I love canoeing, so I realized that it was pretty hard. Like, it, you can't always organize weekends to Algonquin. Sure. Or um, you go, go you got to drive hours. you got to spend days out in the wilderness. And, and that I do that all the time. But uh, what if you just want to go for the afternoon? So you go to Lake Ontario. Mm -hmm. You go to the Rouge River in mm -hmm. Scarborough, right? Yeah. Uh, Lake Superior. Um, you can go to Rice Lake in Peterborough, like... There's all these destinations that are not too far away from. Mm -hmm. Okay, if you you can drive um, and and get there within half an hour. Mm -hmm. But Lake Ontario is definitely one of my favorites. 
you go down there, you I, I like to put in at Cherry Beach. And okay. if you can brave a bit of wake and the odd uh, barge that's delivering... Yeah, <laughs> it's delivering sugar for, to the Redpath factory there. You can make your way across to uh, the islands and paddle through the canals in between the islands, which is really lovely. Wow. Yeah. That is really, really cool. Yes. It's it's one of the best things, and uh, I think that a lot of people miss out on the, the, the great waterfront that we have here in Toronto, yeah. right? You can, there's a lot down there to enjoy. There's a great beach network. And any time I'm at the beach, like I'm putting, I'm putting in my canoe, I just see happy people. Like who is not happy when you're at the beach? Who's, aggri- yeah. who's angry canoeing? <laughs> and if if you're on the water and you encounter other people, kayakers and canoeists out there doing yeah. what, it's amazing. Like people get out there, uh, more sailors. Like a lot of people sure, sail, sure. but that's expensive. You know? Yeah, <laughs> canoeing is not expensive. Yeah, you, any almost anyone can get it organized to to go canoeing. It's which fantastic is, it's exercise. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. That's awesome. All righty. Let, let's get into tech. All right. It's if we have to. If, yeah. we, if we have to. We can talk about <laughs> canoeing all day. But Which if, Well, let me ask you this. Where Where is your favorite place within a half-hour drive to go canoeing? A half-hour drive? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, probably just going up to... Um, you know, the... Uh, I'm losing the name now. What is that lake that is like Black Creek or mm-hmm. no that's Humber? Not, no, not Humber. Not River. Humber River. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, you can go all sorts of places. Mm-hmm. There's the uh, like I said, go to P- Peterborough. There's Rice Lake, and that, that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, gone up to um, you know other air lakes that are sort of like northeast of Toronto. Okay. Um, you did the yeah. dawn. Paddle the dawn. Yeah. Uh, that's it. You can only do that one day a year. Yeah. yeah. How do you? How did you like that? Did you complete that one? I've I've done it many times. Like <laughs> eight or nine times, probably. Yeah, I like to do and uh, with all all different people too. So yeah. the the one time I attempted to do it. Oh, did you bring your kin? Yes. So there's the three of us. Okay, the three in, of you in a canoe. In yeah. the in the canoe. And I don't know where it was, but there's this one place where you, you make a left and you go down these quick rapids. And then That's you go, right at the beginning. It, yes. Yeah. Twice we, we flipped. That's the hardest section. Yeah. yeah they don't warn you. They throw people Oh, no, no, in they there. don't. Yeah. And I had this, this, this gash on my left oh my leg. Really? Five inches wide. The oh. skin was ripped off in such a fashion that I thought the bone was sticking out. Oh. I was in such pain, and literally a, a week later we were going to, um, we were going to Spain and Morocco, and I'm like, yeah. no, not like this again. Right, right. But um, yeah, I, cu- I couldn't get through it. I, it was so embarrassing, and we went with friends, um, whose cottage we used to go to, and we haven't been back because <laughs> we used to do a lot of canoeing at the, at, at our friend's right. cottage. And as soon as that happened, I, I told my wife, "Go, Minas, you're not inviting us this year. We're not going to go. We're <laughs> yeah. not being invited. She won't trust me. We, no, she, she'll <laughs> think I'm an injury liability. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but that, but that was that was. Uh, I, I love canoeing. Oh, don't feel bad. I see uh, so many people wipe out. Yeah. in that section, that it's, it's fast moving water up there, and yeah, there's a lot of sharp turns. You're oh, right. absolutely. Yeah. We went. I went to, I think two summers ago. I, um, my wife and son, they went to I think Calgary for a week or two. Um, and I, I, I booked a weekend at Algonquin 
And uh, I, I went up, had a campsite, and woke up in the morning, grabbed the canoe, and then just went, you know, packed my peanut butter sandwiches, yeah. and then just went out on the lake and, and just canoed. It's so, for me, it's so relaxing. Yeah. Um, it's you're you're in 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 the middle of a, a, a huge lake, obviously not not as massive obviously as Lake Ontario. You're not going to get the wakes like that, um, but it's just like one of the most peaceful, relaxing things that, in my opinion, that you can do. Yeah, you know, I I agree. Yeah, yeah. it's totally like a Zen yeah. type of thing. Yeah, it's it's really relaxing. You know, it, it's getting escaping from the city, disconnecting. Oh, yeah. right? Put the put the leave the smartphone on the beach. You, you don't want to take it with car. you just no. in case, right? <laughs> um, have you seen, have you paddled Lake Mazinaw? Hmm, I don't think so. Where is that? That's up. Uh, it's north of Peterborough. I'm trying to remember Echo, Big Echo, something Echo. Is is the name of the campsite there? Some someone's going to respond to this. Um, it, it apparently is one of the the deepest lakes. Um, but it's very interesting when you when you paddle across Bon Echo. Bon Echo, yep. thank you. When you paddle across, you can see this um, native writing on oh. on uh, on the yeah. cliff, um, which is fantastic. You can paddle right up to it; it's really fantastic. But I remember the one time again, the three of us paddling out. Are those the petroglyphs in Peterborough? Is, is that, that what they're called? I've heard, I've read about it. Before. Yeah, I've never seen them. I don't so. know how to pronounce it. Beautiful stuff. Um, yeah. And then. I remember my wife saying, let's just go out, out to the edge there, uh, like to the end of, of the cliffs. And we're paddling out there, and the wind's behind us, so it's nice, easy. And then, okay, let's go back. Mm-hmm. And it took hours, it seemed, because the wind is at no, you. No, the wind's in your face. Yeah. My wife is tired. Yeah. She's not paddling. <laughs> my son is in the middle, falling asleep. And I'm thinking, this is it. We're going to be here. <laughs> Until it gets dark and someone's going to have to rescue us. <laughs> it was the most frightened I've ever been <laughs> canoeing. Because all in my head I'm thinking, it's the deepest lake. <laughs> yeah, I can't wade back to shore, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's crazy. But um, that's all I know about canoeing. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, it sounds like a good experience. They say that uh, I'm glad you canoe with your wife and, and you survived it because they say that's a true test of the relationship. Yes. So. Oh, it, it is. There's only so much you can just keep on paddling. I will steer and paddle as well. <laughs> but it's it's hilarious. Do you and your fiance paddle together? Yeah. Yeah. It's a big hobby of ours. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. We we've gone on many camping trips. It's uh something we, we share together, definitely. Oh, that's nice. That's really, really cool. Canada and technology in, in, in twenty sixteen. Actually I want to ask you this. This whole this whole Internet of Things Mm. Um, everything from smart watches to I don't know smart fridges or whatever. Yeah. Um, it, it used to be I don't know if 2016 or 2015. It was like everybody's talking about it. The Internet of Things. Um, are we at a point where we're you know we're stagnating and there's no no? And when I talk about growth, I'm I'm talking about the ability for now consumers. To actually access this, this sort of stuff, you know, we see commercials with Amazon Echo um, and, and things of that nature uh, on, on on U.S. commercials. You know, this stuff isn't yet uh, here in Canada. Yeah, it's funny, it. right? All of these products we hear about yeah. quite a bit. Amazon, 
Echo and Alexa and Google Home, then you can't get them in Canada yet. Although I hear Google Home mm-hmm. is going to release here soon. soon. So may I? And uh, to answer your qu- your question, are we stagnating? I don't know. Like I actually, I think by the end of this year. You might have like IoT, like smart devices in your house, mm-hmm. you, and you'll you'll not even realize how they got there. Be like, what? Like, was my fridge talking to me now? Like, when did I even bu- get this smart? Fridge? But we've been talking about that for years. It seems like haven't this we? is the year. Yeah. No. Did you see CES this year? Everything's got uh, Alexa embedded into it. You know, companies are just releasing mm-hmm. the stuff. Like, it's all about the voice first sort of activation connected to AI. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the wave of consumer products here is just getting started. It's and, just getting started. And just, like, we've seen it growing. Like, people are wearing... Think about how many people wore a smartwatch, like, even two, three years ago. And now and I, I, it's pretty commonplace. I see people with Fitbits. I see people with yeah. the, uh, the Apple, Apple Watch. Watch. You know, I have a Pebble. Me and too. Yeah, you're a Pebble guy? Well, yeah. Oh, nice. I was waiting for the, th- was it the is third that, one? Is that the time? This is, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Um, I like that band. The red is really a nice yeah. color. But I was waiting for, like, the third one or whatever it was called. And I the- had mine on Kickstarter, ordered as well. Pebble yeah. Time too. Yeah. Well, and then Fitbit had to go and ruin our, if we'd gotten just, if I'd just gotten the Pebble 2. I'd, I'd be happy. Been, if I'd been satisfied, like, if. They could have, would have sent me that. Yeah, yeah and it seemed that they good. were supporting like smart bands as well. I know that was a great idea, I, but I don't know if the, it, the developer community never really seemed to seize on it, did they? Yeah, I don't know, but I, you're you're right. I don't know, it, but, I, but at the yeah. same time, with the popularity of, and you would know more than me, of the Apple Watch, it seems even the Apple Watch hasn't. I know a lot of people have it, but I don't think it reached the expectations that a lot of people had for it. Right. No, it's it's still early days, right? Yeah. Like, um, if you look at the first iPad, was also, mm. like, people can't remember back to when the first iPad came out. But people said things ago? like, hey, it's just like a big iPod touch. Like, yeah. why do we really need this? But, you know, tablets, uh, it really came up to be like... a a popular product was alongside it's we probably most of us probably have some sort of tablet device in our homes now whether it's an ipad or you know now they're making more of these two-in-one devices where your laptop folds into a a touch screen and yeah no devices are are converging right into Mm -hmm. a shared form factor but i i see like uh the fitness area has, Mm -hmm. has seems to be a great place for these wearables to have some utility like people want to know how many steps did i take today or you know am i improving my 5k run did i run it faster today than yesterday and Mm -hmm. there's there's real value there like uh wearables can provide utility in that and like all you have to do is just look at some of the uh up and coming tech startups here in toronto right you look at thelmic labs or yeah, I guess they're in Waterloo, but here in Ontario, sure, sure, yeah. I'll say, um, you know, they're making this user interface for computers that you wear on your arm, and now you're you're controlling whatever computer with um, arm motions, mm-hmm. un- unencumbered by any sort of um, 
any anything that you have to hold like a mouse and mm -hmm. you know five years from now we'll probably think that uh, there will be a generation of people at least that will think that trying to control a computer with, with a mouse is it's crazy. the clunkiest thing like, yeah just yeah. A, a crazy way to, to do it and y you know you, you see like all these more natural types of interacting with devices coming up through the ecosystem right now mm -hmm. like gesture based voice activated you know it, ways to integrate computers into our lives in a more seamless way like to put that intelligence that ability to to get the answers we need and create value mm -hmm. a little bit closer to to us than um that separate that hard separation by a monitor and an inter like a clunky interface that you have to control the the computer with yeah did you go to CES this year? I've actually or never been. I you've wish, never been? <laughs> yeah, I, it's my dream to go myself one day, but usually we... You send everybody else there. Right, we, we <laughs> always work with freelancers that go. Or, yeah? Yeah, but, uh, like, <laughs> it, it is the Consumer Electronics Show, and we're, so, you know, we're... Ah, that's we're, right. We're for a business well, audience. Well, they've changed so. it, haven't they, now? It's not, like, they call it CS, yeah, but they don't want well, people to say consumer. I know, they're really obsessed with branding it a certain way. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why that is. But, yeah. Well, if, if, you, if you need someone to write a letter for you to your boss, let me know, and I'll... Oh, I'll, yeah? I'll, I'll write, I'll You'll do one. that? Okay. I, I will do that for you. I'll think of that <laughs> next January. But um, you, you must have been following the the different reports coming out of it, and again, you had freelancers yeah. go. What was the um, what was the big thing that that came out of that? Is, was there anything, or was oh, it, it was access to AI? Like it was okay. Yeah, and IoT, and um, no, I was thinking a lot about the security aspect of IoT, right? Because okay, I this part of my beat is to cover security. We ha we have a, a publication called CSO digital right okay. so i was getting together a feature on that and my feature was all about the security of the internet of things and these botnets that mm. are taking over these devices that have default pass usernames and passwords remember that din attack that the uh in last october right mm -hmm. there was like this ddos attack distributed denial of service attack yep. against din a, a big name server a name uh provider who twitter yes um other websites yes. like all of the big site yeah, yeah, yeah i remember that a huge port lots of big brands were involved so and they, they the the attackers behind it were able to amass a big botnet through infecting these iot devices mm -hmm. these like just really low level security devices that some, you know some manufacturer made never bothered to put in fact they hard-coded the password so it's impossible on some of these things for the consumer to change the password so that just is a huge vulnerability for for attackers hackers to to get at it and take over plant their malware mm -hmm. and now they can direct little pings from that device crazy hundreds of thousands of devices towards servers right so you know as we uh see this trend where people's homes will fill with um, smart technology and yeah. internet-connected devices. I wonder what sort of security scenarios we might see down the road where, you know, people don't really think about the cybersecurity uh, implications of mm -hmm. having 
all of their hardware, like their maybe their lights in their home or their refrigerator or their oven even um, connected to the internet. And you know, what could a hacker do with that? Is there is there a, a company or companies that are well suited? You think to take advantage of this from a security standpoint? Yeah, well, different security vendors are, yeah. are looking at this now. And on the enterprise level, we have companies that are looking at um, just IoT discovery. So it's the same problem that companies had when the iPhone came into the, you know, 10 years ago when the iPhone came out, right? Yeah. And uh, at that time, the paradigm in the a big IT department was we give you your devices Mm -hmm. We lock them down, give, put controls on them, and the employees use them. But mm -hmm. the iPhone sort of changed that, right? It started what we call the BYOD. Bring your own uh, device, yeah. Bring your own device, yeah. So now executives show up. They, say, they have the iPhone. They, they say, I, I like this thing. I'm using it in my personal life. Now I want to use it for work, too. And, I, and IT departments had to start thinking about how are we going to have this new endpoint, this device that comes into our corporate behind the firewall, out of the firewall, travels to connects to public Wi-Fi hotspots, God forbid, and it's got all of our corporate secrets on it, like connectivity to mm -hmm. all this intellectual property that it's our job to protect. Yeah. Well, IoT in the enterprise is the new BYOD, right? It's you got to think about now, not only iPhones like smartphones that workers are carrying around, but like IoT devices like smart watches that they're yeah. wearing into work and um, webcams. You know, yeah. your webcams might be your security surveillance system might be connected to the internet now. And you know what? You might have a smart lighting deployment in your building so you can save money on your electricity bill. Mm -hmm. And now every light bulb in your office has an it's IP connected. address. Wow. So how does that affect security? So hmm. you might not even know how many IoT devices you have on your network anymore. And we're hearing about solutions that will help you scan scan your network just to discover where they are and give you a security profile. How vulnerable is that device and how much risk are you being exposed to as a result? That's very, Those are very interesting questions. Do you think 2017 is where we get answers to those, or is it sort of like a rolling thing that, as 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 we build more of these connected devices and as we connect various things, whether it's in the home or in the office, that we'll need to sort of security will have to sort of catch up, yeah, to these things. Well, the big story that turned everybody's head uh, onto the. Th to where this could go was the Mirai botnet with this DIN attack. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you look closer at it, that there were attacks towards the end. Like, it didn't stop there. That mm -hmm. botnet is, like, the source code was released. And now um, it's proliferating. People are picking up the source code. Anybody that can copy and paste code is, is creating their own botnet and uh, figuring out, new ways to infect other IoT devices and, and grow the botnet even more. So this is out in the wild now, right? And yeah. um, unfortunately, it's not just a, a one-off attack. Like, it's not something we hear about, okay, didn't, you know, they figured it out. That happened once, but now it's go gone away and we don't have to worry about it. 
It's going to have like worry about the next is, one. Yeah, there, there's there's still attacks now. There's ways to mitigate it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, con- there's ISP service providers can can do a good job of, of mitigating quite large um, DNS attacks if you if you go with the right person. But not everybody will have that, and and we'll hear about more disruptions. Uh, there will be you know there's going to be mistakes made. There's going to be uh, people that get lucky, and uh, it, this won't be the yeah the, the DIN story wasn't the last time that uh, DDoS attacks and IoT like you're going to hear about uh, threat cybersecurity threats from this uh, related to IoT devices huh. this year again. I'm sure. Sure. We'll, yeah. We'll, there will be some major headlines. I I I think wouldn't so. surprise me. No. Um, Shopify. They recently expanded Shopify. new office. Yeah, I went there. Yeah, you, I think you took some photos, or sure. Did I see that? Yeah, yeah I like taking photos. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. Uh, I wasn't happy with those photos. No, so okay. That was bad lighting in there. That's what I'll blame it on. Um, they seem to have grown very quickly over the past couple of years. Definitely one of these startups that's on fire, right? Yeah, Just building out this e-commerce platform. And I'm very like, is it, is it more than just an e-commerce platform? Because I'm, you know, when I, I I think of that, I also think of, um, you know, related in 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 a sense where, you know, it's not just a website that you purchase that you could sort of plug and play. It's, it sounds like they're really developing, mm-hmm. um, you know, the the ability to custom design, custom build solutions for clients. Um, right. What what are your thoughts on on Shopify? Well, it, Shopify is interesting because, in some ways, it's the story of its creation reminds me of uh, Amazon and Jeff, and Jeff Bezos, right? Okay. Because you, you got the Shopify founder Tobias Lutke, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He started a, as a snowboard shop owner. That's right? right. And he wanted to take his business online, mm-hmm. and he was he wasn't happy with uh, any of the options available to him. So he figured out how to build his own e-commerce system, right? And then he realized later, you know, that was the real business. It was like selling this e-commerce platform, mm-hmm. the system to take your, your, your store that you have and provide it to the world. And now your market's just gone up exponentially, right? This is what sure. everybody needs. If you yeah. want to do e- any commerce, you should be doing e-commerce these mm-hmm. days. So it just makes sense. So at Amazon... No, they start off as a online retailer, yeah. like the place to buy uh, consumer goods, yeah. right? And they'll ship it to you, and it was about convenience and and mailing you what what you needed quickly. Mm-hmm. And then um, to do that, they realized they had to build this the biggest IT infrastructure that <laughs> the world has ever seen, right? Yeah. And then at, at some point, they just turned around and said, you know, the real business is not the online store although it's a heck of a business sure we've all we have to sell these services uh, these it services that we've built that are servicing our own our own business and externalize them and go take that out to the world right and and turn it into a platform so aws yeah aws and you get amazon web services exactly so shopify you know starts by solving a, a business problem uh and then realizing that they can solve that problem for anybody mm-hmm. that that shares that same problem with them, and they turn out 
they turn from internally facing to externally facing. And now you've got a platform. Uh, you build on it. You know they've invited. They've done the right thing. Uh, inv- made it quite open so the developer community can come in and build more solutions on top of what they've got. So it doesn't have to be uh, all-encompassing. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have to literally think of how to solve every problem themselves. Yeah. They just give people the tools, make it easy as possible to, to solve their uh, problems that they're having with, with taking their e-commerce system online. And uh, that that's why they've managed to be successful. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very interesting, I think, this year for a company like Shopify. Uh, you know, based on you know the growth that they've had in terms of uh-huh. um, you know the number of staff they have on hand, um, and now I think the Toronto office is looking to double. Yeah, triple. <laughs> is it triple <laughs> if you, now? If you, yeah, uh, Shopify says it's at three hundred today, and we'll be at a thousand employees just in Toronto. Mind just in you. Toronto, so by they're not t- moving. By o- they're not moving Ottawa here. So that that's over three years, I guess. Yeah. No, they're not moving. They no. have the they have the. Uh, head office there in Ottawa. Yeah. That's their headquarters. But they recognize the talent pool. It's mm-hmm. here in Toronto and Waterloo. You know, they also mm-hmm. have their Waterloo office. And I think that is what what they're looking to um, attract, right? They they want to be, make sure they're working with uh, some of the top talent yeah. in the space. Getting getting. And there's a company that you would you would think. You know, pre-Trump would say, "Wow, look at the market down south. Let's go to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's go to the Valley." And but they've stayed here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the Canadian success stories we mm-hmm. can tell. Where, yeah. and you see, you know, I, at that event, I mean, politicians are are happy to jump on board that train, right? Like, oh, absolutely. And why should why shouldn't they? But. John Tory is there, the mayor, and yeah. uh, he, he's helping. He's been doing some work, right? Go, he went to Silicon Valley. Mm, he went yeah. to Israel. Where is he? He's somewhere now, isn't he? He's, no, he's in going LA, to LA for the film right, film, industry. film industry. But he was yeah. he was doing work to promote the tech industry too, and he was mm-hmm. at our our event in the fall. Um, and you interviewed him. I'm yeah. very, I'm very curious because when when he spoke and, and maybe and I had to leave early. Uh, and maybe a couple of people were speaking. And, and to me, it was like, you know, we've had this open data for a while. Mm-hmm. And a couple of things. Number one, you know, I take a look at one of the services that tons of people in Toronto um, use, the TTC. And the most they've been able to do with that is, is there's a couple of apps that are available. Yeah, I think it's like Red Rocket. Yeah, and it's not even. Yeah. I don't even know if it's their app. They've just opened the data and someone no, else. No, no, but it, that's right? the point, right? You yeah. open the data, like let it, let so people play with it. Yeah. Let, the de- let developers release their own. So there's that. Yeah. Um, you know, Green Pea Parking. Uh, there's an app for that now. Yeah. Um, and then there's another thing that that I recently read about was, I think it was the TTC as well, mm-hmm. in terms of. Yeah, we know the data says this, but you really we're not going to, I don't know if you saw this, we're not going to make decisions, you know, because data says we should. Um, that that came out just so, recently. It was it was after. Sorry, I'm not sure. No I worries. I missed that. I don't, I'm not. No, yeah. no, no, that's fine. Okay. But, you know, as John Tory was speaking, as a couple of speakers before him were speaking, and I think there was one speaker that was saying, here's all this data that comes out, and what are we doing with it? 
And and my yeah, question is, this, I remember that. is, is this yeah. yeah, and my question is the same thing. There's all this that data. That was Mark Fox. Yeah, you're talking about he yeah. was fantastic. He was the best speaker while I was there. Um, yeah, he started the day off. On an interesting note, it right? was. He was critical of the he people was. He was of what people were doing there. In yeah, the room. and it was a wake-up call. And it, you know, by starting off with him, mm -hmm. I think we set the bar. We said, okay, yeah. this is where we should be getting to. And like, here's an academic, right? An expert, somebody that studied mm -hmm. these systems around the world, and yeah. and he's going to hold us, hold the bar up high, and can we jump over it? I hope so. So how do you how do you set yourself up for success? Well, you set the bar high so that even if you hit it on the way down, at least at, at least, least you, you got up to a certain height, right? At least you you, you challenged yourself to get up there. Yeah, but I'm I'm curious your thoughts, and I don't know if you had a chance. I haven't I haven't seen your your interview with uh, with John Tory, but I'm I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. You know, do you think Toronto specifically? Um, is in a position to actually make things happen that will benefit companies and people? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Why Why not? I mean, we've got a business-friendly government. Mm -hmm. We have um, a willing and ready tax sector that's very interested in getting engaged with the public sector. And we have um, collaborations happening, you know, between academic institutions Mm -hmm. The private industry and, and government level uh, that that are all working to benefit uh, the business um, the the business scene in Toronto. And mm -hmm. uh, I mean, if if Toronto can't do it, you have to wonder who could, right? Yeah. Like this is uh, this is the fourth largest city in North America now. Uh, we have like sort of this perfect storm of um, affluent people. Mm -hmm. Excellent educational institutions, mm -hmm. um, startups, are, are you know, and incubators are, have uh, coalesced and matured here now, mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of know, head the, offices here. There's some signs that the venture capital is is going to start finally um, coming into the right Canadian companies, yeah. if, if not as many that want it. Uh, but you know, and, and the government. Uh, they, they seem willing to have that conversation and you see signs uh, you know uh, on on multiple levels that they're starting to ha talk to um, tech companies at least and look for uh, how they can support them um, for example even at the federal level you know recently the the liberal government brought that new uh, visa into effect That's just right. That's at right. the end of last year so you know a big problem that I always heard from these tech companies is we can't we can't attract the global talent it's too hard to get um, the CEOs from overseas to come here uh, because there's there's too much red tape and bureaucracy mm -hmm. well now you know the liberals and they, they say we'll do it in two weeks yeah there's this certain type of visa for the right person you know we'll, we'll try and meet these requests within two weeks to, to get the the paperwork out of the way so yeah so there's signs that it's that they're listening. Good, 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 good. Um, to, to wrap things up, what where do you see, you know, whether it's Toronto or, or, or Canada in 2017 technology wise? Where what are some of the stories um, that you're really excited about discovering or writing or, or covering? Well, I want to write about uh, areas that Canada is showing leadership. 
Mm -hmm. right? And I think artificial intelligence is going to be the right story for Canada this year. And when you see how AI is sort of a hot topic in our everyday lives and it's, you know, working its way into uh, businesses as well through all sorts of applications there. Well, a lot of it, a lot of intelligence, a lot of uh, top research is, is happening in cities like Montreal and Toronto. And how, okay. how that sort of uh, work is driving um, the, the AI trend and solving problems for, for businesses and, and consumers uh, is, is going to be a big story this year. Nice. Awesome, man. Thank you for coming in. Well, thank you for having me. It's been great to catch up. How was this? Good? Did you like this? Yeah? Yeah, this was great. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks so much, Brian. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Graham.